And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and I'm here with Scott H. Gardner. And I'm going to go. I'm going to go with H. Will Smash. <laughs> because <laughs> it's uh it's been a little while since we did our last thing hulk retrospective uh episode but we're ready for another one now and if you're reading along at home it's a two-part story that takes place in fantastic four number 320 followed by the incredible hulk number 350 uh i did not read this when it came out i don't know about you uh, I read I read this for the first time when we were prepping to do the Thing Hulk retrospective, whatever it was, ten years ago, uh, and I don't think I picked it up between now and then. And now I looked at it again, uh, and and I, I kind of forgot how the story went. So it was kind of it, it wasn't because I didn't like it. It was just I don't know for whatever reason I just forgot the you know the, the story beats on it. So. It was as if I was reading it for the first time, and I enjoyed it the first time. I did remember that, and I enjoyed it again this time. Uh, I mean, we'll go into detail in a minute, but uh, were you uh, picking these up as they came out, or you know, when did you first get exposed to this? It's very funny that you should say that and ask me that because I was thinking, uh, uh, you know, preparing for this recording, how how funny it was that. With the exception of the book that we covered last time, the the graphic novel, um, this is the first one we're covering that I actually read, like brand spanking new. Um, I've really been looking forward to this particular episode because we're we're finally covering like my Hulk. Like th- this was the era I was actively collecting the Hulk. This is my favorite iteration of the Hulk, and this was a story that, yep, I, I bought you know both the books that we're going to cover um, right off the stand. Now, even though I wasn't um, actively reading or collecting Fantastic Four at this time, even though, uh, or, I mean, I, I bought this issue um, because it was part of the the overall story going on with the Hulk. So something probably notes on the prior issue of the Hulk or something directed me to go to this issue of FF where the story starts. So I, yeah, like I said, I bought it right off the stands and, uh, it's been a long time since I read it, but, uh, I, I still, I really dig this one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This well, is good stuff. This, this came in the era when I wasn't collecting, when I had, what I, what I jokingly say is the period when I was too old to read comics. Uh, <laughs> cause, cause I'm not now. Uh, so I don't know how I was then, but whatever. The, I, th- I think it's actually a common thing where people hit a certain age and they say, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore, and they stop. And 
eventually right. they realize, well, why did I stop doing something I enjoyed doing for reasons that I can't really understand? Other than, and this one I, I'm sure most people can relate to, is, uh, you know, I was in, in the mid-80s, I was in my early 20s, uh, and I was, you know, trying to go out at night and do things, and, you know, my, my budget was very limited, so, you know, I could only do so much as far as... Uh, spreading spreading the wealth around to to do things and buying comic books for at least that short period of my time was not a priority right so whatever the case may be this is one you know that i read in in you know in in a back issue uh like i said when i later realized uh, that i was young enough to do this so uh fantastic four number 320 uh had a cover date of november of 1988 and it is written by steve Engelhart. Penciled by Keith Pollard, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by George Russos, lettered by John Workman, and edited by the Karate Kid himself, Ralph Macchio. Uh, (laughs) Actually, I I, I, I say that in total jest, but I wonder if there are people out there who think it's the same person. (laughs) Probably. So, just for, for what it's worth, for the record, it's not. Um... The title of the story is Pride Goeth, dot, dot, dot. And I am reading from the Marvel Wiki, the synopsis of the story. Dr. Doom has lured the Hulk out into the Nevada desert, angering the gray-skinned brute enough to attack. Doom fends off the Hulk with his armor's defensive weapons, incapacitating him with a neurospace field. Doom announces his desire to form an alliance with the Hulk, and the brute feigns interest until Doom lowers the field and then resumes his attack. The Doctor is prepared for this, using a neuroarray to control the Hulk's movements until he is incapacitated. No match for Doom's advanced weapons, the Hulk decides to stand down and listen to what the Doctor has come to propose to him. Doom explains the events leading up to his ward, Christoph Vernard, being reprogrammed with Doom's own memories and personality when he was thought to be dead, because of this series of events have led Doom to being ousted as the ruler of Latveria, with Kristoff thinking he isn't the true Dr. Doom to rule in his place. Doom asks for the Hulk's alliance in exchange for safe haven in Latveria once it is retaken and a position as Doom's minister. The Hulk is unimpressed as he likes his current position of power in Las Vegas. Hearing this, Doom tries a different tactic. He goads the Hulk, telling him, that his longtime rival The Thing has been granted increased strength and now leads the Fantastic Four, and that the Hulk has been hiding out because he's too cowardly to face him. This naturally angers the Hulk enough that he decides to go to New York and defeat The Thing. While at the Four Freedoms Plaza, the remaining three members of the Fantastic Four have returned home to tell Alicia of their recent adventure in the Negative Zone and their confrontation with the Beyonder, which was complicated by Doctor Doom's constant scheming. They also remark on how Doom offered to cure Sharon of her mutation into a she-thing and how Sharon refused his help. With the tale told, Johnny invites Sharon and Ben to join them on a picnic on Staten Island, but Ben declines to watch over the headquarters. Alone with his thoughts, the thing remarks how things were, were when Reed was always staying behind when he led the Fantastic Four, and how he has changed personally since taking up the mantle of leadership for the group, group while Reed is away. Reaching the roof of the building, Ben is suddenly ambushed by the Hulk, who attacks him from behind. 
Since most people believe that the Hulk is dead and nobody has made the connection between the Grey Hulk and his green alter ego, the Hulk reminds himself that he cannot speak during the fight lest the thing get tipped off as to his true identity. Ben crashes to the street below but survives the impact. The Hulk dives down to meet his foe, but Ben knocks him into a city bus. Pulling himself out of the rubble, the Hulk then charges into another attack, and the two begin trading blows. Eventually, Ben begins to lose his temper and lands a strong blow, sending the Hulk flying into a parked car. Angered by the thing's seemingly superior strength, the Hulk almost speaks, but catches himself before he can say more than a word. As the battle rages on, Dr. Doom watches from a building above. He believes that the Hulk will defeat the Thing and become his first loyal soldier in his army to liberate Latveria. The battle in the streets below breaks through the street into the sewers below. There, Ben begins getting the upper hand and his blows send the Hulk flying back out onto the street above. With the Hulk weak and almost defeated, Ben grabs his opponent by the throat and is about to land the winning blow when suddenly he hears someone call out. Turning around, both Ben and the Grey Hulk are surprised to see what appears to be the Green Hulk coming to join the battle. To be continued. Cool story. <laughs> it is. It's a really good story. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It's. I mean, honestly, I question whether it would be that easy to manipulate the Hulk. You know, oh, oh, you can't beat the thing. You know, and then he gets all mad and goes goes after him. It just seems a little, little bit much. But that said, it's still kind of cool. And if you accept that premise, we're good. Yeah, this particular iteration of the Hulk, I I agree with you. I don't think should be that easily goaded, tricked, manipulated, whatever you want to say, into this. Um. Because he, one of the reasons this is my favorite iteration of the Hulk is that while he's not smart Hulk, you know, he's not Hulk with Banner's intelligence or Banner in control, he is very smart and he's conniving, um, almost to the point of being kind of sinister in his own right. And that's one of the reasons I really like him because... He's right on that edge. He's almost a bad guy himself sometimes, and I like that. I mean, at this time, he was, uh, you know, the Hulk was believed to be dead. Um, You know, the world thought that he'd he'd been nuked, essentially. And so, you know, as your synopsis said, nobody has yet made the connection with him, and he's basically living a very good life as a mob enforcer in Las Vegas, and so, you know, that in itself, you know, him being a, a, a super-powered leg breaker, essentially, in Las Vegas says, you know, he's he's sketchy on the moral side. So I really like that about him. So, yeah, Doom so easily manipulating him into this fight is a bit of a stretch, but I'm happy to go with it because of where the story goes. And it is just a hell of a lot of fun. Um, this is, in in my mind, this is one of the better uh, Thing Hulk tussles because at this point now, they're pretty evenly matched because the Hulk has stepped down in his power level and the Thing has stepped up significantly. So now it's a really good tussle because it could be either one of them. And, uh, and yeah, I really, I, I dig this a lot. Yeah, I... Uh... I mean, I I think what they present to us here is that 
it's not that they're evenly matched. That now the thing has the superior strength, which has never been right. the case before. Uh, it's always been. I mean, I think at one point the word the thought balloons kind of give us this, unless it's in the next issue, that uh, you know the thing's downfall in most of the battles is that the Hulk doesn't get tired, and that the matter he gets, the stronger he gets. Uh, whereas the thing is just kind of on a steady strength level and will eventually get tired. Which we see right. come into play later on too, uh, but you know, I mean, from from you know the perspective of this particular issue, there's no question that at least initially he has superior strength. What do you think of the art in this? <clears throat> uh, you know, it's really funny you should ask me that because I was just pulling up um, Keith Pollard's uh, body of work on Mike's Amazing World because. I didn't remember who uh, the artist was on this at all. I mean, just looking strictly at the cover, which I love, by the way, you know, the cover is one of my all-time favorites. It's uh, Ron Friends, inked by Joe Sinnott. So, you know, I love the the art on the cover. I was kind of surprised to see inside. It's still Sinnott on the inks, but the penciler is actually Keith Pollard who I know you and I have discussed before that he's one of those great, like, whatever happened to kind of artists. And I didn't remember him still being in comics this late in the game, but um, he didn't really um, have much more after this. I mean, you know, this is about a little more than midway through his run on the FF, and then he would go on to Nick Fury and a few other things. But, uh, you know, looking here on Mike's Amazing World, it looks like about after 90 six that he just kind of drops off the uh drops off the radar so yeah i was i was surprised to see it was him i like the art because i really like keith pollard um i like the art in this i'm not nuts about it though i mean it, it looks good there's really you know there's nothing wrong with it or anything it's just um i don't know the, the hulk looks a little bit weird in this to me um he, I, I'm not really sure what. There, there's just something about him, the way he looks. I, I think it's the forehead. He's got this weird, like, like bubbly kind of forehead and brow and everything. He, he's almost like, like a caveman or something. Everything else about him looks really good. I'm just not crazy about the the way he's drawn that. But then again, you have to remember that the um, up until you know very recently on the Hulk the uh the artist on you know the hulk's title proper was uh todd mcfarlane which had developed a whole new um you know visualization of the hulk and everything so i i kind of wonder if this is you know polard through that filter like he's trying to keep on mcfarlane's model without outright aping McFarlane because you know McFarlane has such a you know or at that time anyway had such a distinct style I'm, I'm not really sure well so I, I think I, I think you hit on it 100% actually I think that's exactly what he's doing with the Hulk if you if you look at uh, McFarlane's run on the Hulk I think the most famous image is there's an issue uh, where the cover shows the Hulk kind of breaking the the word you know he's, he's like reaching up to the words Hulk and, and yeah. breaking them up and and that's kind of the way it, that he's portrayed there. So I think it is his effort to ape that style or to at least use that character model. Uh, and and occasionally I think he kind of makes the bubbly look on his head too wide. It, it expands too far yeah. beyond like 
you know where his eyes are and and where where his hair is uh you know he's got a little bit of like a mo howard hairdo here uh, yeah which which doesn't really do it for me totally but i think i think mcfarlane was also trying to work a little bit on that frankenstein monster image uh, Very and, much so. and and not not the frankenstein monster that we saw in the comics you know the universal monsters frankenstein monster um so i think that's the look he was going for and uh you know when it comes to pollard he's to me, he he has a style that that I'm very comfortable with. Uh, it's very clean. It, it's easy to follow the story as he presents it. Uh, there's not a lot of extraneous things that you have to figure out. You know, what the hell is he, is he trying to show here? Although he does have backgrounds, it's not that he doesn't. Uh, but it's like I said, it's just a very very clean style. Uh, for the most part, I find it to be unspectacular, but not necessarily in a bad way. I, I know it sounds like I'm being overly critical. He does have, you know, some more dynamic, like, splash page images in here. Uh, I think his his closing shot of the Hulk coming up, uh, you know, except for that forehead issue that that's there too. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's pretty dynamic and it, it sets you up for what's coming. And the look on the thing's face actually is more comical than anything else to me there. Uh, but I, I like what he did with what he had to work with. I'm not sure I'm fond of the extra mutation of the thing that we had during this period. Not so much that I didn't like it as a plot point, but I don't think I really liked the look. You know, I, I don't know. I, I liked it um, with a little more refinement. There, there's, there's a couple points of it that look a little bit weird. What's really funny is... You know, granted, Doomsday wouldn't come along until, you know, several years past this point. But that's the vibe I kind of get from the thing. Because, you know, he's now, you know, where he's always been rocky. But, you know, the rocks all kind of fitted together smoothly. Now he's like, you know, like, like the texture would be rough because it's all rocks and everything's protruding. And he actually has protrusions from like his knee and his heel. And I noticed he actually has like a little bit of like a rock tail and all that. That's a bit much. I think I, I kind of like how his head mutated within his back, um, with the exception of now he has these, um, I don't know what they're supposed to be like protrusions where his ears would be. And so when you see him from certain angles, he actually looks like one of those weird, like, like South American deity heads, you know, like Mayan or Incan or whatever. You know, it just it looks really odd, you know, in combination with, uh, you know, with the solid, you know, like unibrow of rock and the and the rocks on his. It just it looks a little bit funny. I think if they did away with those weird protrusions on the side of his head, it's actually kind of a cool look, but. But then again, if they did away with those, maybe it would look like he was just wearing a hat. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. But I, I like this idea, you know, of him, you know, mutating further and becoming even more monstrous and all that. Um, I thought that was that was kind of an interesting uh, thing with all this. I was actually I was thinking about this uh, on the drive home today, you know, in, in preparation for this recording, and and I hit on something because. 
one of the things from this story that I'd completely forgotten about, because, again, I wasn't reading FF regularly during this period, so I, I tend to forget about this character, is um, Sharon Ventura, who had mutated at this point into um, basically the she-thing. And I was trying to remember, like, what was the whole deal with this? Because I wasn't there when this happened. She's not a character I was overly familiar with, and I, I didn't know whatever became of her. I just kind of remember her during this period briefly. And so I, I did some looking into that to see, you know, what was the backstory and basically whatever happened to her type of thing. And it was, it was kind of curious. <clears throat> Pardon me, but I, I got to thinking, I feel like somebody missed an opportunity here with her that would have been really interesting. So if I, if I read like her history properly, like she was really into him, you know, meaning, uh, Ben, but he wasn't so much into her at least at first or whatever. And they kind of sort of developed a thing before it all fell apart. But I was thinking how interesting might it have been if like, so he's the thing and she's just like, the regular human that she was, which was like this Amazonian, like buxom redhead. Right. Right. Like he was really into her. Right. And like, you know, just crazy about her because she was, you know, this gorgeous redhead. And then she mutates into this, she thing. And he suddenly finds himself like repulsed by her mutation. And now he's got to live with basically living a lie because he doesn't want to hurt her or anything, but then also having to live with being like a total hypocrite because now he's getting a taste of like what other people have experienced, you know, looking at him and now he's doing it to her type of thing. And I thought that could have been a really interesting dynamic to play with. And, and especially if she started to figure it out, like he wasn't as into her anymore now that she'd mutated and actually ends up calling him out on it or something. You know what I mean? There could have been a lot of drama with that, I feel like. And I I mean, maybe that did happen, because like I said, I didn't read this era, but reading her, her biography, it doesn't seem like any of that ever happened. And I thought, wow, that was, you know, that that's kind of a shame, because that, to me, sounds like that could have been some really uh, deep and interesting stuff with that character. So Yeah, I, I definitely think, if they didn't do it, and again, I didn't read everything from this era, so maybe they did. Uh, but I think it's potentially dangerous area to tread uh, because, yes, you could show the thing as a hypocrite. And, yes, you could show him as, as being as shallow as other people are. But you also have to be make him redeemable because... He's a beloved character. You don't want to you don't want to bring him down the road, where where everybody you know twenty years later is saying, yeah, remember when the thing was mean to to Sharon? It's it's like when Hank slapped Jan. You know what I mean? You just got to be yeah, careful about yeah. that. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. That's the last thing I'd want to do is is Sully, you know, who I think is a great character and you know a real stand up guy and all that sort of thing. I, I, so yeah, you're right. You'd have to be really careful telling a story like that, but. I was thinking more of it as, um, you know, with with basically with the struggle being his internally until she starts to kind of suss it out, you know, but basically keeping it between the two of them. Um, and but yeah, I don't I, you make a really good point that, you know, if not handled properly, then you do run the risk of, 
you know, sullying the character and making him look like a real asshole. So maybe maybe not such a great idea to have no, all no, that. I, I think it's a really good idea, but I just think it has to be handled with a deft touch. And I think right. what, what you're saying actually could work, where he internally is conflicted because he is... I don't know if I would want to go as far as repulsed, just because that's so strong. But he, he's got, you know, issues. Uh, he's not comfortable with, with her look or whatever you want to call it. And he's got to acclimate himself to that. But he's he's fighting to not hurt her feelings and not make her feel bad. Uh, you know, so you're showing that, that he's being noble, even though he doesn't have a total comfort level. He's he's trying to, to sacrifice his own comfort to, to make her okay with it. And then have her just be aware of it, you know, and, and you know, for reasons that he's not... You know, even despite his efforts to hide it, that it's it's just showing. You know, she could tell he's not the same as he had been. And and then and then they work it out, and then maybe ultimately you have to have him realize that he was being shallow or whatever, and then you know go past it. And then maybe once right. they get past it, then she breaks up with him. And and then he's like heartbroken afterwards or something. You know that she left him. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's you don't want it to be too. You know, too cloying or too, uh, you know, too love comic seeming. But uh, I think there's ways to right. play with it where you could, you know, where you have him being noble almost, uh, and then ultimately he's the one that gets hurt at the end, and then 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 I don't think right. it would get held against him in the long run. But you yeah, can... this is definitely an era of the of the FF I need to get up to speed on because. You know, my my personal history with the FF was, you know, I I was solidly into the Burn stuff, but as soon as Burn left, I left too, and then you know just checked in very sporadically after that, and between this and when I actively started collecting the FF again, which was I think 371, which was that gimmick cover, the white, I think it was a white cover, where Johnny set uh, ESU on fire. They had a white cover and they had a red cover. One of them was the second printing. Yeah, that's where I came back in solid. And between there, I only checked in just like sporadically. But this issue, or, you know, this era right here with, you know, the the extra mutated thing and the she thing and all that. I think this is the only issue of that whole thing that I, I ever read. And it's only because it's this crossover. I just, I, I wasn't keeping up with anything going on in FF at this time. So I'm, I'm, you know, this whole thing is pretty much a, a you know, a blind spot for me, but that said, I, I liked it and it intrigues me enough to want to go back and see, you know, what, what was the whole deal here and where did things go and all that sort of thing. Cause some of it I know and some of it I don't, but it's mostly, uh, it's mostly the whole she thing thing. I, I just don't really, you know, I don't know the development of that one way, you know, prior to this or after this really, other than, you know, the, the biography I read of her on whatever it was, Wikipedia or whatever. So it sounds interesting. Apparently, she's still around, and she's still in this mutated state, too. Apparently, she never did go back to... Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I thought she did yeah. go back. Um, you know, unless she... I, I, now that you say that, I think she gained the ability to like change back and forth or something like that. I, I don't know, but... She was... I don't know. She always confused me because she was... Prior to this, she was Ms. Marvel. But... 
I never could figure out like who was she because I knew she wasn't um, Carol Danvers, and you know she obviously wasn't the more recent one and all that. But yeah, she was a Ms. Marple for a while, but apparently without any ties to the other incarnations of that character. So I don't know. She was just kind of a weird one for me. But she apparently she spun out of the things solo series that he had after uh, Marvel 2 and 1 and all that so I don't know she was just kind of an interesting character in that like who is this person kind of ways mm-hmm. but, yeah um, I mean I have the same blind spot that you do and, I, and and it's not for lack of interest so much as just the opportunity hasn't presented itself because I would I think I'd happily sit down and read this whole era uh, I, I just have to figure out where to start you know what I'd probably want to do on a, on a reading project is probably start from the beginning of the burn run and just kind of run until I run out of steam. Right. Because there is, is even stuff later in the burn run that I never read uh, because of the, the timing of when I stopped collecting comics. So, right. you know, it, it, that is definitely a reading project I could see picking up on soon. It's one of now about this is 800. Steve... <laughs> right. This is Steve Englehart. So was he? Oh yeah, he was. He was. I was wondering if he was the regular um, guy, you know, regular writer on FF at this time. And yeah, it does look like it looks almost here like he was the guy that picked up after Burn, I guess, or pretty soon after Burn. I'm not sure. So yeah, because I, I don't know the exact issue number that Burn left FF. I think it was just prior to 300. And on a quick glance here on Mike's Amazing World, it looks like Giffen... Whoops, I hit the wrong button here. Hang on. It looked like he picked it up shortly after 300, so I don't know who was between him and Byrne, but yeah, he was. Yeah, see, now it makes me really want to read this, because he's a writer I think a whole lot of, Steve Englehart. I think he's one of the greats. Steve Englehart wrote a lot of the issues uh, that... You know, that got me uh, to be what a big comic fan I am. Back when I yeah. first started collecting, there were a ton of them that he that he wrote, uh, and I realized that later on. You know, at the time I didn't always pay attention to who the writers were, uh, but he, yeah, Steve Englehart has has a resume that includes a lot of a lot of uh, Marvel comics in the '70s that really pulled me in. Uh, the one the one thing he he has in here that just you know, well, well, there's the two things. There's the the way Doom manipulates him, which we've already discussed, and then at the end when the Hulk uh, doppelganger shows up, uh, the 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 Hulk's thoughts are, "But I'm the Hulk, ain't I?" Aren't I? Well, not, not, no, <laughs> yeah, but it's exactly. not even a matter of aren't or ain't. It's a matter of really, you don't know if you're the Hulk. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. <laughs> that's yeah, that's definitely one of those comic book cliches. I don't know how I forgot this, but. Uh... Right after Byrne, Stern took over as the writer. So he was the writer. Um, and then there's one fill-in issue between Stern and Engelhart. Engelhart started at 304. So, yeah, I definitely I need to bone up on this era because I, you know, I think rather a lot of, uh, of Steve Engelhart. And, uh, and I think back during this time, I wouldn't have thought very much of John Buscema, who is... Uh, it looks like does the bulk of the art. Well, no, I can't say that either. It's, it's actually kind of all over the place with the artists 
that Engelhardt's teamed up with. But now I like uh, John Buscema quite a lot. So oh, yeah, I, I, I need Buscema to get caught up. And I have all these issues. So. I'm sorry. I love Buscema artwork. The, the thing yeah. the thing about the Buscema artwork, and I've mentioned this in the past, is is I you know I always talk about how I I enjoy. Uh, reading, listening, watching things where the artist, musician, actor, whatever, seems to really just be enjoying what they're doing. And and there's always in the back of my mind the knowledge that Buscema didn't really like drawing superhero books. And that, that always just kind of comes and taints it, just that slightest bit for me. Uh, <laughs> even even though on, on its face that, you, yeah. you'd never know that he... he you know he would prefer he preferred to do things like Conan and things like that and you know that's fine whatever your preference is is, is certainly acceptable it just surprises me because he did he was such a good superhero artist on the Avengers in particular right so whatever it's worth um, I guess we can rate this and move on to the next one right I did have one note, just one note on this. Okay, you can I, have one note that, and one uh, note only. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to spring this on you. I'm I'm hoping that you have your scorecard handy because there was one line of dialogue in this that immediately jumped out to me where I had to call bullshit, but I'm not sure I'm legal in calling bullshit. So on page eight, third panel when Doom is goading the Hulk into this fight. And the Hulk says, don't try to mess with my mind, Doom. We both know the thing's nothing compared to me. I've beaten that pile of rocks every single time we've fought. And I'm thinking, eh. I'm pretty sure that the thing has won at least a couple of them. Am I wrong in this? No, you're, you're right. I, I, My scorecard is unfortunately slightly out of date. I, I, for whatever reason, didn't update it after Marvel 2 and 1 Annual number 5. But uh, And I, I, I would like to actually do that because I like having the scorecard. But we have the thing. We both had the thing winning in Fantastic Four number 112. Um, we had a draw in Fantastic Four number, number 12. Uh... Was it? You had the thing winning in. I think you had the thing in one in issue. Yeah, issue number one fifty three. You you gave it to the thing. Not brand Ech number five. We gave it to the thong. (laughs) Number one six. Fantastic Four one sixty six. We gave it to the thing. So, our you know our scorecard is different from his, but you could understand where his ego would drive him to uh, right. To, to think differently than, than we do. And, and, and he's, clearly, he's clearly an ego-driven character, too, the way he's written at this point. On the Marvel Wiki for this issue, um, I thought this was really cool that basically they call him out, too. It says, The Hulk states that he defeated the Thing every time they fought. This is a very one-sided viewpoint. To date, the pair have clashed in Fantastic Four number 12, Fantastic Four 25 and 26... Um, Incredible Hulk 112, Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Comics Magazine number five. We have not covered that because we're doing them in release that's order. That's a retroactive. Yes, that so that's a retroactive story that we have not covered. Uh, FF 112, Incredible Hulk 153, Marvel Feature number eleven, Giant Size Superstars number one, Fantastic Four 166 and 167. Uh, that's not true because they don't fight in 167. Uh, rampaging Hulk number five. Oh, that's uh, yeah, we haven't covered that yet either. That's also a retroactive. Mm-hmm. 
that's not the magazine. That's, no, that, that's, yeah, that's a comic-sized uh, uh, issue. Marvel 2-in-1, 46, Marvel 2-in-1, annual number 5, and Marvel Fanfare 21, and Marvel Graphic Novel, The Big Change, number 1. I think we've covered everything else, though. Everything that's uh, not a retcon, most, we've, we've covered. Most bouts were a tie, with the Hulk only winning four fights. Uh, FF25, uh, FF167? I don't think they fight in that, because I don't remember us covering uh, that we, we did give credit to the Hulk in that one. We both agreed. We gave the oh, okay. th- we gave the thing the nod in 166. If you remember that that was the issue where uh, Sue put her force field around the Hulk's head and he couldn't breathe. Ah, uh, okay. And then the the, the th- thing gave the the final blow to knock him out. Okay, I, I'm I'm th- I must be thinking of a different story. I was thinking of the one where, like, they're both in the next chapter, but they don't fight, so we didn't cover it. Whatever story that was, I don't remember now. Uh, Marvel Fanfare 21 and okay we didn't cover Rampaging Hulk and the thing winning they've got him winning in one of the retroactive ones I don't want to spoil it Uh, and then the two that you said that I credited him uh, Incredible Hulk 153 and Fantastic Four 166 so it sounds like they're agreeing with us more or less on on what we've decided as well uh, in our uh, rulings on the fight so I thought that was pretty cool but yeah definitely the Hulk the Hulk's not remembering properly here or he's you know, he's bragging, uh, you know, beyond the truth. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, I uh, I dig this issue. I thought this one was was pretty good. I, 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 I really like a lot of fun fights. to read. I, yeah, it is. It was it was a lot of fun, and I think I really do think this is one of their better fights because I would argue with you a bit on your uh, assessment that I'm trying to remember how you said it about there being a would you say a lack of dynamism or what? Cause I, I feel like there's some real weight to the blows, uh, that happen here. You know, I, I think the art's very, you know, in the fight scenes, I think it's very dynamic. Um, but I also think, you know, the, the a mark of a good artist is, um, you know, how interesting or how dynamic are, you know, just, the dialogue scenes, you know, when it's just a room full of people talking or what, and those are pretty standard, um, and and not terribly visually interesting. But damn, the fight! I mean, once the fight is on, once the the Hulk sucker punches the the thing, I mean, I, I really think it's good. I really dig the art, and that panel of uh, of the Hulk tearing his shirt off, you know, it's just it's a little. You know, it's a very small panel compared to the size of the other panels, and it's from a distance, but that is like an iconic shot. I really like that one. I think that looks really cool. But, yeah, I, I dig this. I thought it was it was good stuff. Well, and, I, and I, I'm going to just uh, defend myself slightly and say I'm not saying there isn't dynamism to it, and I think I even said there's a few panels that really kind of work on that. Uh, I just think it except where he seems to be going out of his way to be dynamic, it seems to be a much more subdued kind of layout. Uh, there, there are a decent number of layouts where it's, you know, it's looking at it from a distance uh, and, and not, doesn't have that same energy feel to it. Now, some of them do, don't get me wrong, but uh, I'm, I'm looking at, actually, for some reason, I'm looking at the... Uh, the splash page where uh, the Hulk lands a uh, 
a blow right to the thing's face. Uh, it's on page 19 of the book. And I'm just having a tough time in my mind because a lot of the, 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 the screen is taken up with, uh, you know, just kind of the energy blows from the punch or the energy lines from the punch. But I'm having a tough time figuring out exactly how the thing's body is, 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 is like what position he's in overall. Because you, you kind of see him from yeah. from the shoulders up, and then you see uh, a little bit of his trunks and his legs, but you don't see his his uh, solar plexus at all, and it doesn't look like like it could possibly bend that way. That yeah, that one I will agree with you. That is a very awkward one, and it's a shame that that's one of the ones that's highlighted by being a splash page because I I don't think it's one of the better ones. I think the Hulk uh, looks good. I don't like his face, though, is the only thing. Now, granted, he's he's being belted in the face with a, you know, basically a fistful of rocks. So I think that might explain kind of the weird position of his face and his mouth and everything, because he's being actually hit. But he just looks very Neanderthal right there, I think. Everything else with the Hulk looks good. I like the muscle definition and... You know, just the the general physique and everything. But yeah, you're right. The the thing looks very weird, and that's I think it's just a side effect of showing the the energy, you know, the release of energy of the blows. But yeah, it it makes him look like he's not put together properly or something. Yeah, it does look really weird. And with all those extra rocks and the grimace that he's making and everything, it actually makes him look like he has like old man mouth, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I he's gumming it. He looks really weird. But yeah, this whole, this version of the thing must've been a bitch to draw, but this one with all the bumps and spurs and all that has got to just be a nightmare, you know, you know to, to keep it all straight. Like, what's where and mm -hmm. uh. it's it's a thought i've had many times like uh as far as like the the actual like character model for the thing like you would like to believe and you know that it's not the case but you'd like to, to believe that there is like a standard pattern <clears throat> for the rocks on his body that they're not right. changing every single time an artist draws in but I'm very confident that they change every time an artist draws them, and I, I, yeah. I really haven't. I've never sat down and, and tried to, you know, compare different versions of him to see, uh, you know, how how it plays out that way. But I'm pretty confident that, it, that you know, you, if you put them next to each other, you're not going to see any consistency at all to to the way he was drawn. Uh, and I think the reason I haven't looked for it is because I don't want to see that. Uh, and and I can't imagine in any world that this thing with the way his mutation is supposed to be that there's any consistency whatsoever to the way he was drawn now i'm as i'm flipping from from page to page and panel to panel i'm seeing that there's inconsistencies you know um you know as far as the you know all the the smaller rocks you know the things that are not the like the bony protrusions and all that uh, yeah they're not consistent from panel to panel but yeah, I don't hold that against these artists because that that would have to be just an absolute nightmare. Yeah, well, like I said, I, even in the in the traditional thing form, I don't see them having a uh, you know a, a, a grid to show how the rocks are formed. But it would be nice to think that they do. Right. And and like I said, by not looking, I've never confirmed that they don't. 
I think also this might have been a good time to um, ditch the shorts. Now, I know that there's that ridiculous thing, you know, out there where people actually wonder, like, what his thing looks like and all. And it's like, I, you know, why, why do you even have to go there? I, I think at this point, with this mutation and all the, you know, the extra rocks and pebbles and everything that are all over him, I, I think that would have been a good time to just ditch the shorts thing and just go with this look. Because I think the shorts actually make him look a little silly now. Not that he didn't kind of look silly before, but at least before, you know, there was that idea that maybe he still had, you know, some maleness to him. At this point, it's like, just just ditch it and, and go with this, you know, whatever this look was. Am I wrong? I'm remembering that this they called this like the dinosaur hide thing or something. It wasn't, wasn't there some sort of dinosaur analogy tied to this iteration yeah, of the I, thing? I think I there was, and yet... The earlier thing, you know, like the thing before his rocks became more defined seems to fit that definition better, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But I've definitely heard that. Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't mind this, this version of the thing too much. I, I think it could have used a little toning down. Um but the the idea was kind of cool, you know. The idea was solid. Well, like I said, I I think I would have, uh, I think I would have come up with a different character model for the for the further mutation. But and, and you know, part of that is just that this particular character model actually makes me uncomfortable, which is probably their goal. So, right. So they're probably achieving exactly what they want with me, but you know. And and that's probably also why they went back to the way it used to be. You know, eventually they went back to the status quo and it didn't stay like this because people probably weren't totally comfortable right. with the way it was. And, you know, the whole idea was that he, he went through this further mutation and, and that he's more uncomfortable. Uh, on the other hand, I think they subverted expectations by having him acclimate himself to the to this much quicker than one would have thought. Right. So... That's that's kind of my thought process on this thing. And again, I, I've read precious little of this era of the thing. Maybe if I read more, I'd be more comfortable with it. Right. That all said, despite whatever negatives I've given as far as you know, the, some of the, the 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 whole manipulation is really my biggest negative on this thing. Uh, I still really like this issue. I thought this was just a hell of a lot of fun to Me read. Too. So I, I guess uh, I what's what were you gonna say? I, I said I agree. I think we're getting a little bit of uh, lag here, but yeah, I, I just I agreed with everything you said. All right. So this cover seems to me to be reminiscent of. I'm trying to remember, like an issue in the '80s of the Fantastic Four, something where it had Doctor Doom like. Hovering overhead with the original Fantastic Four, it, it seemed to remember that. I, I could be mistaken, uh, but I, yeah. but I, I really like this cover. I think it's it's really sharp, and it, you know, it says exactly what. I guess probably the only thing it does that isn't totally accurate is they make it look like Doom is even more involved than he is. That's probably the only slight negative I can give you on it, and it, believe me, it is slight. But. Uh, 
I, I think this is a sharp cover. I really like it. And uh, I would definitely, if I were collecting at this time, I definitely would have picked it up off the stands. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say an A on the cover. The interior artwork, I see what you're talking about with the, the, the Hulk's head, but I do think that's trying to do the uh, McFarlane character model, so I'm not going to take away points from from him for that. Uh, I think it's it's solid, it's clean, it, it the storytelling is really you know really does what it's supposed to. I'm going to say a B on the interior artwork. It's not you know it's not great artwork, but it's good. It's very good, uh, and the story. The only weaknesses are, like again, the manipulation part of it. And then at the end to say, aren't I the Hulk? Uh, that just seems dumb to me. Uh, but otherwise, I really <laughs> like the story. It was just a lot of fun to read. So I'm going to say an A- minus on the story. And overall, I'm going to give the book a... a I'm going to give the book a B plus. Cool. Um, I really dig this cover, but I am a total mark for Ron Friends. He, he's one of my favorite comic artists, so I really like this. Um, I'm impressed with this cover for the same reason I was really impressed with Ron Friends on Thor. Um, because Ron Friends is a big Jack Kirby fan, and he likes to do a lot of Kirby-isms. But I like that he can do Kirby without just aping Kirby or without just copying Kirby. He does Kirby through the filter of his own art, and I really like that. So this this cover is very Kirby-esque without just being a flat ripoff of Kirby. So I really like that, that it's, it's Kirby but it's Ron Friends' unique style, and that, that really appeals to me. And so, yeah, I think this is a really cool cover. I'm not crazy. My only real uh, criticism of it is I'm not crazy about the choice of colors. So, like, the orange, uh, basically it makes them look like they're fighting on a bed of lava or something. And then the hot pink uh, letters of the thing versus the Hulk just look a little bit with uh, the color from, like, their waist down just looks really odd to me but everything else about the cover i really like so you know art wise uh yeah i'm I'm right with you i think i'd give this one an a i really like this and i think uh i think friends has got a pretty good handle on the uh you know extra mutated things uh look here i think he, he's got it down maybe arguably a little bit better than uh, polar does inside so i really like that um interior art i really dig it um, but it's a little inconsistent and it's kind of back and forth with, Ooh, I really like this. Ooh, I really don't like that. So it's weird. Like the opening splash, I really don't like, uh, I, I can't exactly tell you why it just doesn't look good to me at all. But then you turn the page and I like just about everything for the next several pages. So, um, a lot of it has to do again with, uh, the 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 hulk's face um i think he was trying to be on model with mcfarlane and not always succeeding unfortunately there's some shots of the hulk like the second panel on page 14 where it looks like like somebody is like inflating his cranium and his the top of his head's just about to pop like a balloon <laughs> it just looks kind of ridiculous so you know points off for that unfortunately but uh I think he's got a really good handle for setting up, you know, a dynamic shot. You know, he's got really good, you know, spatial dynamics, that sort of thing. 
And uh, man, can he stage a fight? I mean, the the fight scenes are really, really good. I, I like the, you know, the feel of the fights. You know, the feel of the blows, especially like when the Hulk picks up a a car and just smashes it over the thing's head. That's great. I, I love that. You know, there's some really good stuff here. So, I, I think this is honestly one of the the better tussles that we've seen between the two of them. So. You know, artistically, yeah, it could be better. It could be a little more refined. It could be a little more on model. But then again, you know, the guy's at the disadvantage of, you know, he's he's doing two iconic characters that neither one of them are in their typical look, you know, that we're used to. They're both new models on old characters. So that that'd have to be kind of a, a tough trick to pull off too. So but overall I, I see I think I would go a uh, I think I'll go a B. I'll go a B on the art. I really do like the art. Um, and then the story, I really dig the story as well. Uh, my only real criticism of the story is Doom feels a little off to me. Now I know he's messing with the Hulk's mind, and he's you know he's just trying to manipulate him into this fight and all that. But I don't know. I, I like Doom being a little more regal a little more i don't know something and this seems just petty it seems petty and childish and that's not really the way i think of dr doom i think of dr doom as kind of being beyond this kind of shit so mm-hmm. it's just kind of weird for him to be doing this that was really my only critique i actually had um um i'm not sure not a no prize but a i guess a rebuttal you'd say to so you you had said something about um, the end of the story where the Hulk says, "But I'm the Hulk, ain't I?" See if this would make a difference in your in your assessment of this. So I, I get exactly what you're saying here because I think that's one of those comic book cliches that had well outlived its lifespan by this point. It comes off as a little silly and a little silver agey. However, keep in mind the world thinks the Hulk is dead. And we had not yet gotten an explanation for how the Hulk survived. So in Hulk 350, I want to say. No, that's the issue we're about to do. I forget. 325, maybe? I forget. Um, He got nuked. And there's like an interim issue without the Hulk. And then, like, I think it was the very next issue after that, like two issues after he got nuked. We pick up like, I don't know, it's like six months, eight months, a year later, something like that. And he's living in Las Vegas. He's already established as Joe Fixit, like this leg breaker in Las Vegas with no explanation whatsoever. We do not know how he survived. So this is kind of interesting because suddenly in the middle of this fight, there's this Hulk we've been following all this time that we just assume is the Hulk you know gray and now all of a sudden the green hulk shows up and so there is the possibility that they were trying to mess with the readers heads by going hey this guy that you thought was the hulk here's the hulk so does that make any difference to your assessment of the issue um yeah i guess i guess i mean it kind of headcanon that uh kind of the whole Thing where, I mean, there have been instances in Marvel Comics, and I think, you know, it's funny because we have one right in this issue where they explain it up, that Kristoff thinks he's doomed, but he's not. Right, right, 
right. so so to be questioning, you know, I think I'm the Hulk, but am I really? I guess that makes sense. But if you're convinced you're the real one, I don't know that you question it quite so quickly. Right. So I, I'm looking at it more of a of a you know of a almost not so much of him asking the question of himself, which obviously he is, but it's more of a wink nod to the audiences that is this is this guy really all this time you thought he was the Hulk is he really because now here's Green Hulk, so to me it's like when you had the four Supermen that popped up after Superman died. And there was all the speculation, which one, if any of them, is the real, you know, steel deal? And then it turns out none of them were, mm. you know, but every issue with them was constantly giving you little hints and teases like, oh, it might be this one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, it's probably this one. And then, the, you know, so they were playing that little mind game with you of trying to figure out, you know, which which one of them is it really until you got, you know, the, the big picture and so I kind of wonder if that's kind of sort of what they're doing here. Because, again, you know, we, we had not gotten an explanation for how he survived. And we just assumed that when it picked up, you know, later with that, that it that it was him, that somehow he did just survive being nuked, you know, without explanation. So I don't know that that was that was my thought on this whole thing. But then again, you know, like you say, <laughs> this this was a trope that was kind of played out by this point you know this this very silver agey type of you know but i'm that person aren't i you know that was very much a you know cover of a superman issue type of thing well he, he can't be superman because i'm superman you know that sort mm -hmm. of thing so yeah well i mean <laughs> and, and in those instances they get very silly with it sometimes absolutely now were we rating the fight as a whole, or rating it per issue? I believe... Well, I believe it, it's it's a case-by-case -case basis, but I think in this instance, I think we should do it by the issue. So my my uh, ruling's definitely going to go for the thing. I think he pretty much mops the floor with the Hulk in this. The Hulk gets some great blows in, but uh, the thing is, I mean, he's got him down. He's He's got him looking pretty whipped and defeated... Uh, at the end of this issue, now he does say, you know, something about, you know, when the when the Green Hulk shows up, you know, he says, you know, Hulk's alive, fresh as a daisy, you know, how am I going to fight him now that I'm beat? So, you know, he's admitting that he's he's pretty exhausted, but it still looks like Gray Hulk is pretty much done. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to definitely rule for the thing. I think he pretty much owned the Gray Hulk. Yeah, I agree totally. I think this is. You know, this is one of the few where you can point to it and say the thing clearly won in my mind. You know, the the the, the Hulk basically the Doom had to come in and kind of pull the Hulk from the battle to keep him from getting totally defeated. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's a very clear cut. This isn't. This is like a a, a TKO, not a uh, you know, not a not a split decision. For those familiar right. with boxing. So, Hulk all the way. So, well, do we have time to do another one? Yeah. All right, so let's jump right into it. All right, it. so our next issue is The Incredible Hulk, number 350. This one is written by Peter David with uh, pencils by Jeff 
you know, I don't honestly know how this guy's last name is pronounced. I've always pronounced it Purvis. I guess it could be Purves, which if it is, poor guy. But uh, it's P-U-R-V-E-S, Jeff Purvis. Uh, inks by Terry Austin, one of the greats. And then, you know, all the other uh, credits here. Um, Tom DeFalco being the editor-in-chief at this time. So our story is called Before the Fall. Now, remember, uh, Paul's chapter was uh, Pride Goeth. So this is the whole saying altogether, Pride Goeth Before the Fall. So the uh, synopsis from the Marvel Wiki, and I feel so bad reading one that's uh, pre-done like this, but I am a, I'm a lazy shit in the long run. I was going to say I've been a v- very busy man, but I'm just flat lazy. So here you go. It's coming out of the Marvel uh, Wiki. So here we go. Uh, the Thing and the Hulk have been duking it out in New York City. The Thing has just vanquished the Hulk, whom he is unaware is the Hulk, when he comes to face-to-face with the green-skinned, less intelligent Hulk. The Thing, who has been wanting to brawl with the Hulk for quite some time, fights the green Hulk, believing him to be the real one. The diversion allows the real Hulk, the I'm going to say Gray Hulk, because that's what this guy should have written, whoever wrote this, The diversion allows the real Gray Hulk to collect himself. Dr. Doom explains to the real Gray Hulk that the Green Hulk is actually a robot of unknown origin, which he salvaged after the Eternals defeated it. Dr. Doom apologizes for having miscalculated that in his current incarnation, the weaker Gray Hulk would never be able to increase his strength to the level needed to fight the thing before the thing would defeat him. This only galvanizes the Hulk, pisses him off is what it should say, uh, the Grey Hulk who wants to try again. By this time, the Thing has discovered the Green Hulk's true nature and has ripped it apart. The real Grey Hulk changes his strategy on his second go-round with the Thing. He uses guerrilla-style tactics, hiding and attacking and then escaping to hide again. The Thing, while stronger than the Grey Hulk, uh, doesn't have the endurance or the speed to keep up. The Grey Hulk uses his uh, uses this pattern to eventually wear the thing down. The thing only discovers who his enemy really is just before the Grey Hulk delivers the knockout punch. Doctor Doom, impressed with the Grey Hulk's performance, bids farewell with the promise to call on the Grey Hulk for uh, his assistance when he retakes Latveria. The Grey Hulk decides to check in on the Avengers Mansion before returning to Vegas, only to discover that it's gone. He meets up with the Beast, who explains that the Avengers are being called on for some major emergency. The Beast blackmails the Grey Hulk into helping him in exchange for not telling the Avengers that the Grey Hulk is still alive. And that's our synopsis. Um, I would be most curious to know um, what you thought of the art in this issue. (laughs) Because... Oh, no, go, go ahead. This is not my style of art. Um, it is surprising, though, because it is definitely not my style. And, uh, well, first of all, it's surprising that Terry Austin would ink art that looks like this. Uh, not because it's bad art, but it, it what it shows you is that Terry Austin can do a clean inking job without overpowering the artist at all. Because uh, you'd never know that he was the inker on this based upon the style uh you know we've talked about bob leeton and how you know you could always kind of see 
that he he always would bring uh, artists that varied, you know, kind of back into the mainstream a little. Uh, this has the look of an of an indie book to me, uh, and it's not bad artwork. It's just the pencils are like too thin for me. It's it's there's not enough shadows. Uh, I I think the the actual layouts are good, uh, but I would like to see a little bit more. Like I said, a little bit more shadow, a little bit more detail, a little bit more definition. Uh, and, and not quite so many of the thin lines. I'm not totally crazy about the way faces are in it. And there are instances where, where the uh, perspective seems slightly off. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I see pluses and minuses to it. Um, it does seem to be fairly consistent, though, throughout, as far as the appearance of the characters, so I'll give it credit for that. Uh, and, and the storytelling is fine, so while it's not my style, it did not take away from my ability to read the book and enjoy it. That's my long-winded way of giving you really no definitive answer. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to stun you by saying I really like this art. Now... I'm not sure if that's nostalgia talking or not, because I have such a fondness for this stuff, for this era. I mean, this really is my Hulk. This is when I was actively collecting and, and reading the Hulk, you know, right off the stands, you know, right out of the comic shop, whatever. And, uh, and just loving this era of the Hulk. Um, but no, I, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's an art style that normally I really wouldn't like. So it, I look at it and I go, I feel like I should hate this or at least just not really like it. But strangely, I really, really do. And even at the time when uh, when this came along and it's so very shockingly different than what we were getting when it was McFarlane. Because, I mean, this was right... I mean, McFarlane ended with the issue where the Hulk gets nuked. And then there was a, a an issue in between where I think McFarlane had something slight to do with it. It was like a transition issue, but I think that was mostly done, if memory serves, I think Eric Larson kind of stepped in to assist with that one, I think. And then it goes straight into this, you know, the, the Joe Fixit era of the Hulk and, and Purvis is there right out of the gate. And it's such a, a vast difference in art styles, in, in model of the Hulk, in everything. So I think if I was going to hate it, I'd have hated it then because it was so different than the, than the Hulk I fell in love. Cause the whole reason I got into this era of the Hulk was I was in a bus station in Utica, New York, and went to like the little, like, uh, you know, convenience stand, whatever you call it, you know, newsstand. And I saw that issue of the Hulk. I'm trying to remember the number. I want to say it's like 340 or something like that. It's the one where the Hulk's face is reflected in Wolverine's claws. Mm -hmm. Now, I freaking hated comic book Wolverine. I still kind of do. So for that, for, for a character that I hate, for the art to be so dynamic and impressive to me, to, to get me to, for one, to even notice it, but then to pick it up off the rack, flip through it and go, oh, my God, I got to get this. 
and then be totally on board from that issue forward, I think really speaks to the power of, of McFarlane at that time. So it was his model of the Hulk that I fell in love with. And of course the writing, you know, with, with Peter David and everything, but that was my Hulk. That is my Hulk. So when it transitioned to this look with Purvis, that is so far from the, the McFarlane model, you, you'd think I would have just hated it, but strangely, I, I don't. I still, after all these years, I still look at this and I really dig it. And I think because even though it's still the Gray Hulk, this is yet another iteration of that character because he'd gone from just, you know, big, bulky, monstrous Gray Hulk to now he's like, he's almost like Mr. Hyde. You know, he's he's cunning, he's mischievous, he he's a little bit evil in a in a way. Mm. Um, and I, I just I really I'm looking at page fourteen, third panel where he's the Hulk is just kind of skulking around a corner, and that face is just awesome because he's a monster right there. You know. He, he's barely even the Hulk, really. He's he's much more like a, a combination of the two inspirations of this character, according to Stan Lee, were Frankenstein and Mr. Hyde. And you look at that panel and bam, that's it. That's Frankenstein and Mr. Hyde combined into one guy. And that's damn cool to me. I really like that. So, yeah, that that's why this guy gets a big old pass for me, because I really like his art, but I really like his models. I, I think his Hulk model is just really cool. And uh, he did, he does a really good job with the thing as well. Um, he he kind of did what I, what I was saying with, uh, you know, on the last issue with Pollard's model of this mutated thing where he just needed to be kind of smoothed out a little bit. And this one is still all bumpy and rocky and all that, but somehow it it works better for me because it's still all, you know, sharp edges and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't look as, you know, like the other one, the Keith Pollard one, to me, reminds me of like that rock monster from uh, Galaxy Quest, where it's like literally just like rocks all setting on top of each other. Right. Whereas this looks like an actual, like, cohesive thing, you know, a cohesive being. You know what I mean? It doesn't just look like a collection of rocks that's shaped like a man. I think everything what you're saying, that everything that you're saying about it is, is pretty accurate. And I don't really disagree with anything. It's more or less just the, uh, the thin line and the occasional lack of detail that it just doesn't go to the style that I prefer. But that said, right. it's not that I'm looking at it and saying it's deficient in any way. It's just a matter of comfort level with style. So, right. you know, it's, it's easy to say, you know, if I'm objective about it, this is good artwork. Because I think it is. Uh, but it's just, you know, when I, when I look at it, it's just not the style I go for. It's something I think, I think this, this particular artist may have been a little ahead of his time, honestly, because I think we've seen more distinctive styles like this as time has gone on. And I think this is a much more commonplace type style than, you know, now than it was then. Uh, so I, I, I'm not really cr critiquing it in any way saying it's bad. Uh, my thought process is it's just not the style that I'm most comfortable with. Right. 
So oh, I get that. But I think the, the the storytelling is is really good. And the uh, like you say, you know, you pointed out that the the facial expression. Uh, I, I do think we're seeing some stuff there in the facial expressions that that you might not see otherwise. And I think we're seeing some just some cool shots. I'm, I'm looking at page eleven, just seeing like with the Hulk pounding on the or the Hulk uh, robot pounding on the thing's head, and it's just I don't know. It, it, it's it's amusing <laughs> in its own way. Uh, so you know, there's definitely some good stuff here. Yeah. I, I really dig this. So, I mean, I, I go ahead. it's hard for me to pick which of these chapters I like better, honestly, because I like them both for very different reasons. Well, I, I was just going to go to I like the storytelling aspect where the, the Hulk ultimately ends up outsmarting the thing. And that's why I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but that's why he wins the battle in this this one. Uh and, and it's not based on, on his strength. It's based on, you know, being smarter than him. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's right. very cool. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I'm watching, I'm reading this, and I'm saying, how is he appearing over here? Like, and it totally escaped my mind that, yeah, he could just leap. Instead of having to run, whatever, half a mile, he can just leap a half a mile, make the thing run that half a mile, and then leap again and just keep doing it until the thing is totally, you know, exhausted. Uh, which is, is, you know, it's, it's a clever outcome to the story. And, and you got to kind of also play with the fact that Steve Englehart wrote the other one. Peter David wrote this. So it's not even the same writer who's, who's putting this together, even though it's a direct continuation of the story. So there's a little something to be said there. I'm sure that, that they put their heads together and, and came up with a, a, you know, cohesive plan for how it was going to go. But, you know, hats off to them to doing it well and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's two different writers it feels like you know just a continuation of the same story right so all things said I, I really enjoyed this issue uh, I would say I enjoy the art and the other one a little more because and that's again that's purely for stylistic reasons but and I'm not rating this yet but I'm going to end up rating it just as high for the artwork because I think the storytelling is really good Cool. I'm glad you liked it because I, I know this art style is not for all tastes. And like I say, I, I surprise myself that I like it so much, but uh, I, I, I really do. I've long wanted to go back and, and do a reread of this era of the Hulk, you know, starting with the McFarlane stuff to see if it holds up and to see if I still feel the same about it. I, I have not done that. Um, and I haven't looked at a McFarlane Hulk in, God, it's got to be decades. But dropping in here and, and rereading this by Purvis, I, I'm really pleased to find that that I still feel very strong. You know, I, I still really like it. So, you know, at least this uh, particular chapter, you know, to me, to my mind, holds up really well because I, I dig this. Um, as soon as I opened this up and saw who it was, I, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy. So I looked him up because I got to think, you know, what, it, once again, it was one of those, God, whatever happened to him? And I was really sad to learn that uh, this is it for him. He did uh, he did this run on the Hulk. Um, I couldn't quote you the, the issue numbers off the top of my head, but he did this run of the Hulk that essentially picked up right after the Hulk had been nuked, the, the Joe Fixit era, essentially. Um however long that ran. And then he did a couple issues of, um, I think it was Marvel comics presents was that anthology title with different, different character stories in it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that was it. 
Um, and he did a couple chapters of that that were Hulk chapters that basically tied right into the his ongoing run of the Hulk. And that's it. That's all he ever did. And after that, he, he dropped, you know, dropped off the radar. Um, from what I could tell, you know, from a little bit of Internet research, it looks like the guy, you know, he's still alive. He's still around. He's still working. He just doesn't do comics anymore. So I thought that was kind of a shame because, damn, I really like his stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't know why he got out of comics, but. I've often wondered, you know, how regarded his uh, his run was, you know, what people think of him or thought of him at the time or whatever. I really don't know what kind of a, a rep he had then or now, but uh, but I, I dig him. I digged him then and I still dig him now. So Yeah, who knows how he would have developed over time if he had done this longer. Uh, yeah, I know, right? I, I, I'm just, you know, going through it in, as we're talking again. And I like at the end that, you know, even though by not talking, he totally fools the thing for a long time. Uh, but the beast comes in like two seconds. It's like, yeah, I know you're the Hulk. I could smell that you're the Hulk. <laughs> so it's funny that, you know, the Hulk goes through all this trouble to keep quiet and to hide his identity. And he'd been doing this regularly in his own title, you know, in, in the regular story as well. Um, trying to keep things under wrap, he didn't want people to know that he was still alive, and so he'd been doing all this work to, you know, to lay low, to keep, you know, the, to keep the secret and everything. And then this issue ends with a footnote to be continued in Avengers Annual Number Seventeen. So I took a quick look at that, and I realized that I'd never actually read that story, so I didn't have time to read it in full, but I just kind of skimmed it. And unless I'm wrong, and somebody can feel free to write in and correct me, but if unless I'm skimming it wrong, it looks like his identity is out of the bag and within like the first couple of pages. Because essentially, he goes straight from this story to teaming up with the Avengers, and like the first thing that happens is Captain America goes, "Hey, the Hulk's still alive." So I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you know? So I just thought that was really weird that you know all this work, and then he just blows it in the very next appearance. So. Well, I guess once once it's you know, once they decide to do away with the secret, they do it quick. But it's it's like when when it came out that Bruce Banner was the Hulk, you know, one issue, and then all of a sudden it's just done. Everybody knew, right? <laughs> so I, you know, I I think this just to give my my last thoughts on it. I think it it provided a good resolution of the first issue, and I like the fact that you know they both got the upper hand in their own way. Uh, for whatever it's worth throughout this run. And I think it has more to do with him being the underdog than the fact that he's, you know, a, a preferable character or whatever. But I, I feel, I find myself rooting for the thing all the time. So I'm a little disappointed that ultimately, you know, when all was said and done, the Hulk ended up on top. Uh, and I, like I said, I think it just has to do with rooting for the underdog. Uh, but I still think it's kind of cool that, you know, they had two issues and the thing came out on top in the issue of the Fantastic Four and the Hulk came on top in the issue of the Hulk. Unless you feel differently. The thing that's interesting. I, I can't imagine you do since no, he no, knocks well, the, Hulk, the thing out. I, no, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, the, the, the Hulk wins the fight. But here's the thing that's really interesting to me with this particular fight is that this is the first time that the Hulk wins by essentially running away from the fight. I, I don't think he would see it that way, but it really is how he ends up because he just wears the thing out uh, to a point where he can knock him out. And 
that's really interesting because it's the Hulk, whether consciously or subconsciously, admitting I can't take this guy in a straight face-to-face stand-up fight, so I'm going to have to use strategy to take him out, which he does. You know, He wears him out. But he's showing his um, intelligence by, in, also, by using strategy and also by not letting his ego it, fool him into just saying, well, I don't care, I'm going to keep battling. It, exactly. And that's a lot of the reason, I think, why this is my favorite iteration of the Hulk, because at the end of the day, I, I think the best way to sum this version of the Hulk up is he's a bastard. You know, he's not above cheating and duplicity and all that sort of thing to to get what he wants and and to achieve his ends. And that, at least at this point in time, that was such a breath of fresh air for this character that didn't really have a whole lot of facets to him. You know, he was he gets angry, he's pissed, he smashes stuff. Now he has facets. Now he's he's got an interesting persona and when they started to play with that you know versus his banner persona it it was really i mean it was some really interesting stuff that they were doing with the character you know we talked a lot about uh you know our familiarity or or lack thereof with the fantastic four you know during that era and the fantastic four issue we just covered what what was your familiarity with with this era of the hulk are you familiar with this at all um only tangentially uh, I didn't have a like a. I, it's again, I really wasn't re- actively reading during this time, uh, so I mean, I did have some exposure to the McFarlane issues, and I've had exposure to the Peter David issues. But this is another run where you know, I've read a lot of it, but I haven't read all of it, and I wouldn't mind getting a, a better familiarity with it because it is one of, at least the Peter David era is one of the you know the epic comic runs. That he, you know, he right. had control over this character for so long and did so many different things with it uh, that, you know, it, it really would be, I think it would be a fun reading project to sit and go through, you know, from from the, you know, simplistic Hulk to the Hulk with Bruce Banner's brain and then where it goes from there. It's definitely one of those projects that's, that's high on my list to get to because... Um, Here's the funny thing is, you know, I have such fondness for this version of the Hulk and and was there and reading it and all, but uh, I ended up dropping it. I mean, boom, just bad habit. I just completely dropped it when uh, there was a fill-in issue, and I couldn't even tell you who any of the fill-in guys, but it was none of the regular team. And what happened was uh, prior to the Hulk getting nuked, um, it's revealed that Betty is pregnant with the Hulk's baby. And then it might even be in that same issue. I can't remember. But anyway, he in, then he gets nuked. And then it goes into this whole thing with Joe Fixit. And there's this long mystery of how did he survive? Coupled with the mystery of what's going on with Betty's baby. And, and they just didn't really, they teased it a little bit here and there, but they really didn't touch on it. And it went on and it went on and it went on. And it went on to a point where readers were starting to go, come on, she's had to have had the baby by now. What What's happening? And then they ended up, the big reveal was in this fill-in issue with, again, none of the regular team, not the regular writer, artist, anybody. And in that fill-in issue, it was just mentioned very casually, oh, by the way, she lost the baby. 
And I was so pissed off. I'm like, I'm done. And I just dropped the book Cold Turkey. So I never got the rest of this era. And I didn't really ever pick it up again. You know, I dropped in sporadically here or there just to kind of check up on the character. But I know, you know, eventually he went back green and he had other mutations and everything, including like Smart Hulk and all. But I, I don't specifically know how the gray era ends. And since that time, I've never purchased another issue of the Hulk off the stands. But I do now have the entire run you know, all the way to the end of the series from the point where I dropped it, you know, I have managed to fill all those issues in as back issues on the cheap. So one of these days I am going to sit down and, uh, and read through that because now, you know, after all these years, the, the anger has subsided <laughs> and I, I'm now I'm curious. I want to know how the whole thing wrapped up, you know? Yeah, so, so we'll see I'll, if I ever get to it or a lot not of reading projects. Yeah, I know. Right. So, well, are we ready for grades on this I one? I think so. You want to go first on this one? Yeah, I'll go ahead on this one. I like this cover a lot, except I'm not crazy about Doom's mouth. I don't know if it's the angle. I don't know if it's the shading. His mouth just looks off to me. But everything else about this cover, I really like artistically. It's really cool. I like that the thing is the mutated thing, but he still looks enough like classic thing that it works. So I really like that. I love this model of the Hulk by purpose. I, I like the, you know, the, the beady eyes, the, you know, the big, you know, grinning teeth and all. It's just, this is, this is a cool model. I really like this. So yeah, it's a, it's a really cool cover except for doom or, you know, doom's mouth anyway. So cover wise, um, I think I'll go and, I'll go at A minus on the cover because I really do dig this. And I like the the lighting effects, the way it's lit and everything looks really cool. Um, interior art, I dig this. I really do. I, I think my only criticism, honestly, of the art in this is um, I do agree with you on the thin pencils. I, I you know, I, I do think um, that. See, I, the last thing I want to do is criticize Terry Austin because I really like Terry Austin, but I, I think it could have been thickened up a bit in some places. So I, I think the thin pencils coupled with Austin's thin inking style um, does lend to that look in the art that you're talking about. I definitely can see that. There, there's a, almost a, I don't want to say scratchiness, but almost like a, a scratchiness or a, a lack of, three-dimensionality i guess if that's even a, a a term if you know what i mean um and i'm not crazy about the coloring there's there's way too much like just weird coloring a lot of a lot of muddy colors you know a lot of uh purple you know, weird purples and dark blues and that sort of thing I, I guess it's because it's supposed to be nighttime but by having just solid purple backgrounds and so much of it 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 looks a little unfinished or, or you know not as defined because then when we actually do get some really great backgrounds like on page what page is this page five or six now the page numbers cut off at the bottom but where where the hulk is crashing into radio city music hall mm -hmm. that's i mean look at the definition there that's great i really like that but that panel being so well defined and, and you know having a lot of definition, 
just emphasizes that the panel just immediately before it, there's absolutely nothing in that panel. So, you know, it's that weird juxtaposition. But, you know, when they throw in the detail, it really, really works. I, I think there just could be more of it. Um, but overall, I really dig this. I, I like this guy's art style. I, I like his visual layouts, uh, you know, his eye for visual layouts. Um, the shot of Central Park with all the, the devastation and the down trees and all, you know, at that canted angle just looks really cool, you know, and, the and you know, the city off in the distance and the kind of hazy sky. I just, I really like that. I think that looks really good. So, yeah, I, I dig the art in this. I'm going to give the art, um, I'm going to give it a straight up A. I really do dig the art in this. And uh, I, I think he, he just got better over time. And there's definitely some other issues I can remember thinking that the art was better than this issue. Um, and then the story, I think the story is fantastic. Um, I actually like this chapter of the story even more than uh, than the opening chapter. Um, and I like the Hulk just being a sneaky bastard, you know, and that's, that's the only way he can take. And he seems perfectly all right with this. You know, he, he doesn't seem to realize that he won, you know, by, by running away, you know, he's perfectly content with this is, you know, if this is the only way that I can win, then this is how I'm going to win. And I like that. I like that about him. So yeah, this is really cool. Um, Story-wise, I'm going to go straight up A on the story. So overall, I, I would give an A to the whole issue. I really dug this one a lot. And uh, Hulk wins, but Hulk wins through uh, through running away. <laughs> okay. Um, I am going to differ from you on the cover. I'm not crazy about it. Uh, I kind of like the concept, the way they have it with the... I, you know, I, I could do without Doom's face being in there at all, honestly. I don't think Doom is pivotal right. enough in this yeah. issue to, to, to merit being there that way. Uh, but the way it's drawn, you know, it, it's decent. It's, it's kind of cool. I like, you know, the facing off aspect of it. But I think Doom actually takes away from it. If you eliminated him altogether, I think I'd like this cover more. Uh, I'm going to say a B. It's I not do. a bad cover. But it's just, you know, like, I feel I feel it could be even more dramatic. Uh, the interior art, uh, I, I'm having a tough time with it because I think it's well rendered. I think it's I think it's good art. It's just not my style of art. So I'm going to take a little off of stylistic points just because it's my rating and I get to give it what I want. Uh, so I'm going to give it a B <laughs> instead of an A, but I do think it's it's well done for what it is. Uh, and the story, I'm agreeing with you. I'm straight up A. I, I really like the story. I like the way the Hulk managed to outsmart him and, and pull victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, you know, it's something the thing really was never able to do was to just outsmart the less intelligent Hulk to get himself to victory. Uh, so it's kind of cool that, that when it was reversed, the Hulk was able to do it to him. So uh, overall, I'm going to give the book a B plus. Cool. So... That will do it till our, till until our next thing, Hulk Retro, which is, do you know offhand which uh, that is? So I actually had a question for you on that front. So I know, I forget where I saw this somewhere. Maybe it was advertised in one of these issues. I forget. But apparently there was a, oh, yeah, here it is. It's on the, uh, the teaser at the end of... Uh, the FF issue that we just looked at, that apparently the next issue was Ms. Marvel, who, of course, is the She-Thing at this point, versus the She-Hulk. 
Now, I know it's not a Hulk thing fight, but do we want to look at that? Sure. We I can thought do, that might be kind of interesting. We can do that. And then, uh, according to what I have in my folder, the next story after this will be a four-issue run uh, in Hulk 364, 65, right. 66, and 67. So first we'll do that uh, Hulk, uh, Fantastic Four 321, and then we'll get, get to that four issues later. And that actually has... Um the Hulk versus the she thing. This Hulk, the Gray Hulk, versus the she thing, in that as well. So yeah, that yeah, again, it's another <laughs> another run. I don't like, think I've read since you know ten years ago. So it'll be fun to get to it. Yeah, this this point, yeah that that particular story I have never read because that's beyond the point um, where I quit. So yeah, I have never read that. So our next retrospective issue will be Fantastic Four three twenty one though. And that'll do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, thanks, Scott, for putting up with me. And uh, we'll see you all next time. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week.